Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, we've got lots to talk about this week. I've got a few guests joining me. We're going to uh, be dealing with the question of the week. And uh, you know what? Let's just kind of jump right in. Just so you know, uh, coming up shortly, I've got Romana King. Uh, she's going to be joining me from BC. We're going to be talking about the market out there. What is going on? Could the government out there actually have some second thoughts on the idea of taxing Canadians for ownership in BC? And then a little bit later, Later on in the hour, have you ever thought that you should maybe auction off your house? Well, I'm going to have the broker owner of On the Block Realty, and it's Katie Steinfeld. And she's going to be joining me, and we're going to have a great conversation about the idea of putting your house on auction. But before uh, before I go there, let's, uh, let's have a quick chat about what is actually going and what is meeting the headlines this week. Uh, Toronto housing market pumps the brakes. God, you know what? I, got, I, I just love some of these, the way they do it. Toronto housing market takes a February nosedive. You know, higher end home sales in GTA tumble 55%. Don't fall for staging. Real estate expert on how to avoid rookie mistakes. So all of these, uh, all of these headlines each week, I try to break down for you because a lot of them I think are misleading. And you know, the fact is, is that when we take a look at the market, uh, month over month, we're starting to see it kind of inch up. So January to February, getting a little stronger. February to March, so far for what we can read, a little stronger again. But we're kind of struggling with this weather, as everybody knows. How many of you really want to put on that jacket and go out and take a look at an open house, or for that matter, go out and, and book showings for a house? Not the greatest weather yet, and this is always a problem when we talk about a normalized market. Remember, for years and years and years, April and May were always the best uh, months to sell a property. And now that we've got the weather that is, you know, still holding us off a little, and we're back to perhaps what we'd call a normal market, you know what, we may have to be a little bit more patient. So if you're thinking of selling your house, you may want to wait to launch it in April, maybe uh, beginning of May, because this is where the biggest market normally is in the spring market. Also keeping in mind that perhaps, and this is just a suggestion to any of the bank uh, people that are out there that are listening to the show, um, perhaps we should be looking at a little bit of a discount uh, in the spring market. You know, maybe you guys can take a look at your profits and say, hey, maybe we don't need to make that many billions. And how about we pass it on to the consumer? Because guess what? You've got a smaller market this year. We're definitely not going to be looking at the same number of properties trading hands. And so it's getting smaller. So how, as a bank, are you going to get new clients? Well, one of the things, of course, is discounting your rates. And I'm pretty sure all our listeners are up for a discount on the rates unless of course you own bank stock and then maybe you don't want a discount um, a couple things that are uh, hot in the news this week by the way uh, Bombardier uh, they are going to exit from the downs view uh, the section that they've got there didn't know it was this big though 375 acres so uh, this could offer uh, some of our developers a huge opportunity there's sections of of out there in north america where people have actually taken these big lumps of area and when they turn around and they redevelop it all of a sudden you know what they were able to put small communities so 375 acres will it house a large space i think so i think it's going to have a lot to offer um, 
um, as everybody knows, uh, for the last few weeks, I've been opening up uh, the idea of having some questions asked. So if you want to ask me a question, Todd at thesimpleinvestor.com is the best way to reach me. And so what we should do is take a look at this week's top question. And I thought it was a very timely one. And it's very interesting because this is this is kind of the spring market that we're getting into. And a lot of these seminars are coming up. And it says, hi, Todd. My wife and I recently went to a seminar that was promoting a lease to own, so a rent to own investment properties. The presenter made it sound so good and that we can make a lot of money uh, in a year or two. Um, is it a scam? Uh, and so they've asked for my opinion and it was from Drago. And uh, thanks Drago, I uh, really appreciate the question because I think we have to take a look at the markets and one of the reasons why somebody would want to do a rent to own or a lease to own. So here's the thing. If you're going to be renting a property with the idea that you're going to try to buy it, um, why is it that you can't buy it right away? So most people understand that perhaps it is your credit rating uh, or you don't have the complete down payment. But when you do go into a contract normally with a rent to own, you have to come up with more of a deposit and normally it's not refundable. So some people will charge a fee, could be 5,000, could be 10,000, could even be in excess of 20. And what the owner is trying to do is they want to lock down a sale price two years from now. Now that's a tough one too, because if they had done this in 2015 and the 2017 prices hit, maybe the owner missed, uh, they might not have wanted to sell. But now if you started setting this in 2017 and you're going two years from now to 2019, what's the value going to be? Is the market going to continue to fall? So there, there's a real variable here that we cannot substantiate and you don't have a crystal ball. So you don't know if the value is there. So what happens when a tenant has been in a property for two years? Do they actually turn around and if they've had bad credit, do they increase? do better with their credit? Do they improve it? Do they get it cleaned up so that they can now buy? And what happens in two years when the owner says to you, by the way, you have to buy it or I'm keeping your deposit that you gave me, the, the cost of this program. Um, does that not make the tenant irate? Well, in a lot of cases it does. Sometimes the tenants will then up and leave. They will do damage to the property. And the whole idea of a rent to own in most cases is the fact that you don't want to be a landlord. The idea that somebody's going to rent to the property, you know, one of the selling features at some of these seminars is, oh, the renter's going to treat it like their own. Well, hang on. It's not their own. And if we look for clarity on something, we have to understand the mindset of the tenant. Let's say they do not improve their credit rating and they're not happy with you keeping their money. What do they do? They can damage the property on the way out. You as the owner all of a sudden have to pretend that you're a landlord. Do you have the skill set to be able to evict a tenant? Do you know how to deal with a tenant? And the idea of this is normally on a very short window one or two years, and then you're flipping it. So you're going to incur capital gains. A lot of times this program is set up by realtors. And the idea here is that, you know, they're locking in to get a commission and there's nothing wrong with realtors making a commission. But if you're going to be a real estate investor, remember, when we determine what a real estate investor is, it's holding real estate for a long period of time in a ca positive cash flowing position on top of that having mortgage pay down. That's where you truly 
get the advantage of real estate. So keep in mind, two years, probably not long enough. Idea of five or 10 years, there. There you have a real estate investor. Anyways, Drago, I hope that answers your question. Thanks for it. And remember, you can reach me, Todd, at thesimpleinvestor.com if you have any other questions. So joining me now is real estate expert, Romana King. I'm sure you know the name. She's been a frequent guest here at Simply Real Estate. But more importantly, you've read her articles over the years in Money Sense. And Romana, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Hello. Always great to have you on the show. And um, just to clarify from our for our uh, listeners' sake, you are coming uh, direct from the West Coast, out in BC, and yeah. uh, you're kind of you're kind of our person on the ground there because you are seeing it all happen and unfold right now in the BC market. Yes. Um, well, we we're very weather dependent here, and it's still it's been a, a longer, colder winter. So, and, and Toronto can certainly relate to that. So, um, we haven't yet seen the spring pickup, and I think that's kind of what everyone's sort of looking at is what's going to happen for the spring market across Canada, not just in Vancouver. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk a, about a development in the Vancouver market, though. Is that the government is now questioning if they should be taxing? People that own out of province, uh, some you know, vacation properties. Um, what do you what do you know that's going on with this decision? Yeah, so there's been a lot of concern about whether or not um, it, the real concern is whether or not Canadians who own real estate in BC but don't necessarily pay income tax in BC, whether or not they should be caught up in this sort of tax trap. Um, and there's been a lot of pushback, particularly from places and uh, people in in Alberta, uh, where they do own quite a bit of vacation property in BC, especially interior BC. Now, the BC market, the BC tax, was directed towards um, certain urban areas, and the only really inland area that would be affected would be sort of the Kelowna region. Uh, but people are not happy. Um, there's a lot of people that invested in a in a in a property, Whistler, um, that they wanted a vacation in Whistler every year. They don't pay BC income tax, and now they're going to have to pay a rather substantial uh, tax per year just to own that vacant property, that vacation property. Yeah. You know, when when I heard the announcement, I thought immediately of you and thought, okay, you know, what what is going to be your take on this? Now, of course, the um, the idea of increasing the foreign buyer tax, you know, we introduced that the last time you were on the show, but the idea now is pushing it to 20%. Do you really think that that's going to, you know, curb the foreign buyers that extra 5%? Or are we now going to see them say, hey, forget it. You know what, we're not going to go there at all. Or they're going to say, yep, we'll absorb it. And the BC government gets that much more in taxes. Well, I mean, this has been the argument the whole time: is will uh, a tax on probably much wealthier people? You know, if you're shopping internationally for real estate and you're well above the 1.5 million dollar mark, you're not struggling for money. And um, you know, will these people be concerned about the extra cost? I think people are always concerned about extra cost, but if they see the value of the asset maintain, so they they don't see any massive dips in the asset uh, themselves in the asset market, they're going to just come back in. I think what it's going to do is it's going to do exactly what every other you know, government announcement and government intervention is done, which is slow the market down temporarily. And then those with money who still have interest in an asset that hasn't depreciated will come back into the market and pay that extra money. So the government is going to get more money in their coffers. 
will some of the segment, yes, some will, will leave, but you know what? Other jurisdictions around the world have introduced taxes, and it slowed the market, but it didn't kill the market. So speaking of killing the market, um, we're going to go to a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk to you about Toronto and some of the things that are going on here. I'm sure you've got some opinions, so, um, so you just hang on, stay put. We'll be right back, folks, with Ramana King as soon as we come back from the break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the show. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Ramana King. She's a real estate expert. She's an author and somebody that I love to have a conversation with as much as possible about real estate because she's got a great take on it. And Ramana, just before the break, you and I were talking about the Vancouver and BC market and you're still kind of a little bit stagnant right now. The weather's not cooperating too much. Of course, in Toronto, we're still feeling kind of that cold effect and I don't think we've got the spring market quite going yet. It's been rough because you're, you're coming off of um, a strong end of year 2017 where there was a lot of activity and it helped help keep that market up. And now you've got the typical, you know, January, February, not a lot of activity. But you've also got a lot of factors where you've got the mortgage stress test and you've got extraordinarily high price increases in the last few years. And people are just sort of fed up and they just take their prices on the market as well as a bunch of people rushing in to put their houses on the market. And so now you've got high listings, low sales activity, and guess what's happening the prices. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, the stats that came through, of course, were saying like the more expensive property, so the higher end market, you know, that two to five, two to five to two to six million dollar price range really got affected um, yeah. over the last little while. You know, they're actually saying the change in the number of properties down 55% year over year, which is not really something I think is so shocking because the people that were moving up, you know, when they were coming out of their million and a half, $2 million homes that they'd owned for years, they had a lot of equity built up. They're able to do that next jump to a $3 million house. But right now they're not seeing the heat in the the move up buyers. So it's really tough for those big top end guys to be selling. And unfortunately it's, it's compounded by the fact that, you know, when you've got a lot of hot frothy activity in the market, you have developers coming in trying to capture the most dollar for their build. And, you know, in places like Aurora and Markham, you're seeing basically McMansions put up in that two and a half and above million dollar range. So they flooded the market on in that range. So now you've got more inventory in that particular price bracket, that snack bracket. What's going to happen? There's fewer people shopping in that snack bracket. Now those that are shopping have more choice. What's going to happen with pricing? It pushes it down. Yeah, of course. So I'm pretty sure that you do follow the Toronto market very closely. The one thing that, uh, in the news, we've got a new leader of the Progressive Party, uh, the the Conservatives, and of course, um, you know, Mr. Ford has announced that he may look at changing the foreign buyer tax. Immediately, everybody jumped on the bandwagon saying, wait a minute, that's going to cause a housing bubble. And, um, you know, he's actually looking at it from a more sensical standpoint and say, listen, let the market determine the market. What do you think? Is this um, is this a good idea? I mean, you know, we is truly foreign buyers the ones that are making the markets run out of control? This is the tough thing. I mean, I think the problem that Canada has, and this has nothing to do with governments um, or any specific government in power. I think the problem that Canada had is that we never saw ourselves as a global community or a global market. And so we never tracked that data. And so we're, we're really behind the eight ball in terms of just tracking that data. Other countries have already put that in place. And certain jurisdictions in Canada put that in place. PEI was like, listen, we know that people come off island, come into our place, buy vacations, home and leaves. So they track that data. We don't really do that. And so as a Canadian market, the entire market, we are 
trying to implement a way to track it. So are foreign buyers a problem? We're not quite sure yet. Statistically, we don't actually know for, for any certainty. The one thing I don't like about make a change into the market and intervene and then don't make a change in the market is the uncertainty of it. So now you've got a government that's come in and said, we're going to add this foreign buyer tax. And now you've got a candidate for a government that's saying, we're going to remove this foreign buyer. What does this do? This back and forth creates a lot of uncertainty. And guess what happens to a market when there's uncertainty? It falls. So he's not doing any favors to the market, allowing the market to you know, dictate itself by creating uncertainty. I think what we need is we need very calculated, educated decisions from the get-go, which is not how governments operate. They operate sort of on a knee-jerk voter reaction. So... Well, you know, with the upcoming election, um, you know, I'm pretty sure that there's going to be a lot of a lot of people that are pushing certain certain avenues. And and right now, you know, one of the things, obviously, the hottest topic in Ontario is real estate. A lot of people have been suffering over the last little while. Um, you know, they they thought they were going to get caught up and, and make the big bucks when selling the properties. You know, right now we're seeing the, a little bit of a softer market. And so now people are starting to panic a little. And again, you and I both, you know, when we talk about this, we always talk about, you know, real estate's really a long long-term hold strategy, you know, normally yeah. for your primary residence. But more importantly, if you're looking for, you know, creating some kind of equity in your future, it's always good to, you know, take your time, pay down your mortgage, let the equity grow. And now, you know, it, it's kind of forced savings in some ways. I think that's what people are missing in all of this is that a lot of the frothiness and a lot of the activity going on about listings and sales and pricing and all of this is, is very short. It's a short-term snapshot it's, or it's a, it's a moment snapshot. We're looking at a moment in time. If you plan your real estate acquisition, whether it's a home or an investment, and you look at the long-term appreciation, you look at cash flow, and we've talked about cash flow when you're an investor, if you understand those fundamentals, it doesn't matter if the market's frothy or not. People made money in a frothy market because they did smart acquisition. And so I think real estate hasn't lost its position in your real estate portfolio, whether it's a home, um, which is for savings, or it's an investment, which is you know cash flow positive acquisition. It hasn't lost its position, but we certainly have to be a little bit more judicious in how we look at that. I think that when we look at these numbers, we need to pay attention to the fact that we're not looking at today's number. We're looking at, you know, what is it going to look like 20 years from now or 10 years from now? Yeah, no, I think that's a great, a great approach. Uh, speaking of, you know, frothy markets, of course, if you and I take a little bit of a drive down the 401 towards Montreal, they're saying that it's poised to become the new capital of luxury real estate and that apparently lots of people are heading that way. And, and Montreal's got this huge increase and a lot of people are blaming, blaming once again, the foreign buyers. I mean, we saw this when Vancouver introduced its foreign buyers tax. We saw a flood into different markets. We, we had reports in Calgary there's a lot more foreign buyers. And that was a few, there was a couple of years ago. And actually, we heard rumblings in Montreal at that time. What we're really seeing is we're, we're seeing the, the migration of, you know, flight to market. We're seeing people move from one jurisdiction to the next, parking their money in what they consider a safer asset um, with the least amount of fees. Montreal doesn't have a foreign buyer's tax. Toronto does. Vancouver does. So what's going to happen? They're going to flee to Montreal. And you've got, a, again, a world-class city that's priced very advantageously when you look at a global market. Foreign buyers have always been in the Montreal market. It's now whether or not there's more foreign buyers there. And again, how much of an impact it is, we don't really know. And one of the things that we don't realize is that foreign buyers are not just in residential real estate. We talk residential, but foreign buyers are also in commercial. And you know, I do know that there's 
large swaths of Toronto commercial real estate, large swaths of Calgary commercial real estate, of Vancouver commercial real estate that are not owned by Canadians. They're owned by foreign buyers. Is it surprising? No, it's not surprising. Is it poised to sort of be a bubble? We've seen those rumblings for a couple of years. Should attacks come in? Well, let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to have to be the the wait and see game for sure. So yeah, and I, it's not surprising. I mean, Montreal is very underpriced for what it offers. The problem is domestic. From a domestic point of view, can a Canadian find a Canadian job that can meet those prices? It's hard. But as a place to be in the world, Montreal offers a lot for a foreign buyer who wants to park money in a good and a good solid asset. Yeah. Well, Romana, always a pleasure. Um, you know, I'm going to stay in touch. I, I want to. I definitely want to talk to you when your market starts to pick up. You know, when yeah. is spring going to finally spring? So, anyways, always a pleasure, Romana. Thank you so much, Todd. Bye Folks, now. that was Romana King, and always a pleasure to have her on the show. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back to the show. My next guest is one that I, I you know, I'm, I'm so excited about having on. It is uh, Katie Steinfeld, and she is broker of record at uh, On The Block Realty Inc. But one of the reasons why I'm so thrilled to have Katie here is that if any of you have been listening about the market and how things are changing, the idea of multiple offers has always been the thing that scared people because they never knew truly what were they bidding against. And you know what? Was the agent truly disclosing everything? Well, you know what? There was a solution out there and Katie and her husband have actually found this solution. They've, they've seen it happen in practice and it is auctioning the property. So uh, without further ado, Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am so glad that somebody stepped forward with the concept. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about historically about where you got the idea, what you've seen in the past, and, and then tell us about the entire process. We saw there was a need in the industry from buyers, from sellers, even from agents that there's we need more transparency. Mm-hmm. And we saw auctions work in a variety of different markets, and we felt as though it would be a great opportunity for us to bring that into the greater Toronto area. So we created an online auction platform on our website, and it's a choice for sellers to sell their home this way. Um, It provides a lot of benefits to pretty much every player in the industry, but the main goal is more transparency. We know going through, especially in 2017, the spring market, we saw some craziness in the markets, and and I'm sure you experienced these, and, you know, multiple offers, and, I mean, not just one or two or three or four offers coming through, you know, we saw 20, 30, 50, 70. Mm -hmm. Um, In in that scenario, you know, of course, most of the sellers were licking their chops. Yes. (laughs) You know, like agents were setting them up below market value just Mm -hmm. to really turn around. I mean, you know, we we, we saw properties a million dollars over asking. Right. And... So it was kind of, I'm not going to call it a bait and switch, but it certainly was, you know, creating the multiple offer scenario. Mm-hmm. When you talk about, you know, uh, a seller being able to auction their property, mm-hmm. are you using market value and then letting the people bid it up from there? Like, is there, you know, in, in auctions, sometimes they have a reserve, meaning yes. if they don't get past that. Do you do the same with the house? We do. We have a starting offer, which is less than the reserve price. So the reserve price is the lowest price that the seller will sell their home for. And at that point, then they're bound to sell the house before. Before then, 
they don't have to sell it all. They're under no obligation to do so. Our starting offer is lower than the reserve, but not significantly lower. We don't want to confuse buyers. We've seen in the market last year, as you said, you know, houses were priced significantly lower than what they were worth. And it creates a lot of confusion in the marketplace. So we want to be as open and transparent as possible, but we do want to start the bidding lower in order to just get that excitement going and just build it up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, if you go to a standard auction, they normally start at zero. Right. <laughs> or like, what's your, yeah. and they're looking for an opening bid. And then that yes. pretty much takes it from there. Yeah. Biggest advantage to a purchaser I'm a, uh, or a buyer, I'm assuming, is the fact that they can actually see the other bids that are coming in. Yep. Definitely. And, you know, they maximize the sale price of their house. I worked a lot with buyers last year and the amount of buyers that were just turned off of the process completely and just, you know, said, you know what, I can go up 50 grand on this house, but I don't want to because I don't know what other people are offering. I might overpay for this house. This allows them to feel comfortable going up to their maximum price. As a result, it will increase the price for sellers that they can see for their house. That to me makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, it always has because I think sellers can actually do better in an auction process Mm -hmm. because people are actually knowing what they're doing when they're going, you know, head to head. Yeah. I want to talk about another issue in the actual offer process because you're really doing working on transparency Mm -hmm. um the escalation clause i know you have Mm. an opinion on this and rico came out with a notice about the escalation clause yes okay uh aria is not necessarily in agreement with them and the idea of an escalation clause whatever the top bid the buyer is going to put in an offer two thousand dollars over that so what ends up happening of course in any multiple offer situation when Mm -hmm. they finally get the top bid Mm -hmm. one person is sitting at two thousand dollars over five thousand whatever they Mm -hmm. decide to Mm -hmm. overbid on it Mm -hmm. but here's the question what if there's two escalation clauses yes. in play. Where does it stop? Can a buyer so overpay without their own knowledge? Mm-hmm. Are they talking to yeah. the buyer during the escalation clause? And is there a disclosure in the situation that would say, hey, by the way, we're going to bid this thing up and your escalation clause is going to get used. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what do you think? I think there's little control over that process and buyers aren't fully in the know. Um, that, you know, It's basically like you're going to get to that point and you know, you'll be surprised by it at the end of the day because you, you don't have control. Yeah, you, you're losing you're losing, you're losing it control. yeah exactly yes. like you don't know how much 2000 above the highest price is going to be at the end of the day until it hits that well exactly you know they, yeah. could, they could come in on an offer with 550 somebody goes to 600 and all of a sudden they get it at 602 exactly and and then what happens if there was you know a few people that carried this clause so then yeah. the other person adds five mm-hmm. and then the other person adds two and then yeah. the other person adds three right it doesn't stop no and and so at yeah. what point you know should should a you know and, and and right now, Rico has not mandated that this is not to be used. Right. Um, Tim Hudak uh, from Aria is saying, "Hey, wait a minute. You know, we're we're not supporting this. This yes. is, this, this this can get way out of control." And, and I, I agree with him. This is one of those things. And now we haven't really seen any major cases of it. But yeah. at the same time, um, you know, look, the market could change, and if we start seeing those mass multiple offers again, mm-hmm. we could have a problem. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's a tool that people can use. I think for sellers, you know. It can, I can see the benefit, it could be the sellers, benefit. Sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think it will shock buyers and, you know, they lose control. And I think we've seen over the last year, 
buyers lose control and they don't want to lose control again. Right. You know, they, we finally had a point in the market where there's a, it's a more of an even playing field. Right. Buyers have learned a lot throughout yeah. this last year. Yeah. You know, I think buyers have also uh, been disappointed you mm-hmm. know, more than ever before. I mean, yes. I've seen both the huge uh, real estate increases over the years, you know, yeah. back in the back in the late 80s, you know, it was crazy. People were just standing outside of houses. <laughs> One offer would go in and then when the guy came out with the sold property, basically there was another buyer saying, hey, listen, how much did you pay for it? I'll tell you what, I'll give you $50,000 over that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was a change of paper. Now with technology, of course, it's handled differently. But at the same time, I mean, you know, looking at these people, there's only can only be one bit one winner. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So when people are sitting there, and and, and I, I and I said this, and I, I think people got a little offended at it, but I said, you know, there was a lot of losers this week in the offering <laughs> process, right? Absolutely. And you know, if you got seventy offers, there's sixty nine losers. Yeah. And that hurts. It does. Yeah. It does. It it impacts you every single offer you go through. Buyers get turned off more and more. And I had a lot of buyers that just said, you know what, forget it. I am not going to go through this anymore. I can't. It's it's too emotional. Yeah. You know, you get attached to houses. It's important. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you're just treated like a number, yeah. um, it's just not it's not a good experience. You know, everybody says, well, this is the one. This is the yes. one. And they have to do that four or five yeah, times. I you know. know. So when you say people get excited, they get, yeah. they, do, they get emotionally invested. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody else comes along. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You and I have lots to talk about yet today. I do want to kind of delve in a little bit more about the auction process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to hear some of your success stories. Yeah. Also, I understand that uh, you're looking at the election in RICO, and I want to talk mm-hmm. to you about that definitely when we come back. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the backyard that you're actually doing real estate in. So if you don't mind staying put with me here in the studio. Sounds good. That'd be great. Thank you. So folks, stay put. I've got uh, Katie Steinfeld with me, and uh, we're talking about real estate auctions. That's right. They've become a reality. And- And Katie's brokerage uh, is actually one of the leaders in it now. And it's on the block Realty Inc. So stay with us. We'll have more when we come back. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Katie Steinfeld, and she is the broker of record at On the Block Realty Inc. And that's right, On the Block. Doesn't that sound an interesting name? Well, it also is an auction style of doing real estate. And Katie, just before the break, you and I were talking about the advantages of doing an auction style uh, sale of a property. And I think it's got huge huge benefits for transparency because of the market that we just came through. Mm -hmm. Just out of curiosity, have you had many people opt into this option? Yes. So our first auction was in November. It was a pre-construction condo at Young and Eglinton. We did very well. We had 17 registered bidders. It was a very active day of auctioning. And um, at the end of the day, we sold the condo on auction day. And it was a great process. Both buyer and seller were thrilled. You know, whenever I think of auction, I think of hearing that guy, you know, when they talk to him, and then all of a sudden you have the gavel drop and sold, right? Yes. Um, Do you have any sound effects on it? (laughs) (laughs) Just, just, Just for fun? I know. We do have a gavel. Oh, do you have a yeah, just for, yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So do you think it's something that's going to gain traction with the market that's shifted the way it has? Because, you know, you, mm-hmm. you know, you and I watched the market, you know, just absolutely go screaming last year. Then, yeah. of course, uh, the provincial government decided to implement a few things, mm-hmm. um, you know, throw in a few increases in the interest rate. Now, this year, of course, we've got to go through a stress test. Yeah. Market's softened up a little. It has. Um, does it still make sense for somebody to auction their property? I think it does more so today than it did last year, simply because buyers don't know what a house or what they're willing to pay for a house and they want more information. They want more control. 
And I think sellers, you know, it, it's hard to tell what a house is truly worth right now because, you know, we were looking back at last year and what the house is sold for, and that's not accurate to today's market. So this gives you a true picture of what a home is worth. Um, it's what whatever the buyer is willing to pay. And if they have all of the information, they know what every other buyer is willing to pay, right. then they can make a, a well-informed decision. So you also um, sell uh, real estate normally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll yes. say it that way. So yes. you, you, your, your brokerage will list a house, put it on the MLS, yep. standardize you know, everything. Um, so are you, are you looking at the spring market yet? Is it picking up? Have you felt anything out there? It has. I find the last month has really picked up. Um, January, February were very slow. Um, I think people were still adjusting to what happened last year. Buyers were still cautious. You know, the new mortgage rules, the stress test, um, you know, fair housing plan, all of that stuff. They kind of had to take a step back and reevaluate where they were. Um, For sellers, they had to take a look at what was selling last year and come to terms with the fact that they're not going to be able to sell their home for the same price that they saw in 2017. So, um, but now I do do find the spring market's definitely picking up. We're seeing more. Yeah. Well, you know, the interesting thing, though, is that um, when we start looking at numbers, there mm-hmm. was just that one portion of 2017 that was just out of control. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the year actually was kind of a little bit more normal. You yeah. know, we saw increases from 2016. And that's really the, you know, was it a blip in the market? And can people, you know, if we talk to people that I think purchased March, April, or May of 2017, they're, they're the people that are going to suffer the most. Mm-hmm. But I think if we take a look at the people that are actually, um, you know, that bought in September, for instance, when yeah. we roll it around, I think they're going to still be in pretty good shape. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean... In the greater Toronto area, you're always going to do well. The appreciation is always going to be steady. Right. The demand is there. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's it's a great market. Yeah, we haven't solved the inventory problem. No. I mean, and, and, and this is the thing. I think that, you know, depending on what government you want to listen to, mm-hmm. you know, we've got we've got the potential of, of perhaps a, a new person coming in that could be premier. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, he's very pro-real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm a big supporter of people that are pro-real estate, yes. of course. Yeah. You and I both, I'm sure. Yeah. But at the same time... Time, uh, you know, we still lack inventory in this marketplace. And I don't know how we're going to solve that. It's it's really hard. I think, you know, we're going to have to come up with different unique ways to look at um, creating more inventory. You know, I, I, I remember seeing a lot of news stories about laneway housing, for example, you sure. know, building houses behind houses. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's a good idea to consider yeah, moving increase forward. Increase the density. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so... Just out of curiosity, I understand that you are getting involved in the election of RECOs. Yes. Do you want to explain what position it is that you're trying to be elected for and what RECO involvement that you would have? Real Estate Council of Ontario has a 12-member board. Nine are appointed through the industry. And so I'm running for one of those positions on the board. Their mandate is to protect consumers, inform them about the industry and the marketplace. I want to run because I do want to make a difference for our industry. I have seen the industry from different perspectives as a realtor, broker of record, manager, you know, owner. I think I can bring a lot to the table in terms of new ideas, see that there's a lot of opportunity that exists to make things better. We've had uh, some people from RICO on here. And, you know, one of the things that, of course, we want to do is encourage people to get a better education. Yes. Um, And more so the consumer, not just realtors. Mm -hmm. And so for the consumer's sake, you know, knowing, you know, what they should be signing, making sure they read contracts. I mean, you know, 
during during the craziness of 2017, people were basically just putting their signatures on mm. anything just to get an offer done. Right. And yet, you know, they were going, and, and I'm not going to say it was misrepresentation by any agent, but it was definitely the people really didn't understand 100% what they were committing to. Right. Because, you know, we heard, we, we saw a lot more complaints last year than we have in years. And I don't know if it's because maybe Rico's, you know, stuck their head out and said, hey, folks, by mm-hmm. the way, we are the protection of the consumers here. Right. So if 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 you get involved and and you get elected to to the RICO board, of course, mm-hmm. um, is this is this something that we can look forward to? You know, continue education to the public because it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, RICO. I I've always called them a little bit of the the policing of realtors. Yes. Okay, because this is where people can make complaints about realtors. Yeah. But at the same time, um, can we can we get a little more proactive in the education so people aren't you know being put on the spot? I think absolutely. I think that's a very important thing to put forward. I think we can use the power of social media. For people now, that's such a powerful way to get your message out. And I think if we can rely upon more of that type of thing, you know, and just little quips here and there, we don't have to have a five-page essay on, (laughs) you know, how to to read an agreement of of purchase and sale, but little tips here and there, I think will make a big difference. Yeah, no, no, I agree 100%. I think think it's a very positive thing. Um, Let's talk about your trading area because Mm -hmm. um, each week, I try to get a, a realtor on to talk about, you know, on the ground, what's going on. So mm-hmm. what area do you normally, I, I know you do work the GTA market. Is there, yeah. is there a marketplace that you really, truly focus a little bit more condensely in? Lately, I've been focusing in on Mississauga quite a bit. Uh, we have a new listing coming out in Lauren Park on Monday. It's an auction listing. Excellent. So I've been active in that market, really getting a feel for what's going on. Right. It's definitely picking up. The spring market is here, but January, February was slow. You know, there was not manually new listings. Listings, listings were staying on the market for quite some time. Yeah. Days on market we're seeing in March has been cut down significantly. Right. So I think that's a really positive change that we're seeing. What about condos? You know, this is one of the things that you know we've watched the detached market. Um, you know, that's the one that's been struggling yes. a little. You know, we're up over you know one point two, one point eight. Those those prices seem to be lagging a little. But yet we're seeing condos have such a strong increase year over year, even now. Yeah. Um, where do you see the condo market going? Are we going to continue to see price increase there? I think more so than freehold houses. Right. They're more affordable for people. And a lot of buyers have been forced to reevaluate their situation, look at their buying power. And the answer for a lot of people's condos or townhouses. So the demand, I think, is going to continue to increase for that market. I think it comes just strictly to affordability. And mm-hmm. the problem is, is that, you know, they're not getting, you know, at 600 square feet at $800 a square foot, you know, 480000 for a one-bedroom condo. Mm-hmm. It, it it seems astronomical considering a few years ago that's a detached price. Right. And so, but I guess I guess people have to accept the fact of what our marketplace has become because mm-hmm. it's not, you know, this escalation in price is, I, I think it's long overdue. You know, mm-hmm. I've always said this and, and, and people can agree or disagree with this, but I think Ontario was undervalued for so many years when we take a look at the class of market that it truly is. I mean, yeah. you've got one of the greatest cities in the world here, okay, as one of the major hubs. You know, yeah. we, we are, you know, we are, A, the leading province, but we're also the, the biggest financial hub in Canada. Mm-hmm. And when we take a look at all the major cities around the world, 
you know what, we can we can run par with them, except our prices, and I know a lot of people you know find this hard to believe, but we're half price in comparison mm. to some of the major cities. Absolutely. You know, unfortunately, for a lot of people, I think we're going to continue to go that way. It's just the way it, it works when you live in a city that a lot of people want to live in and there's lots of opportunity. It's going to happen and it's going to go that way. I think we'll see a lot more of a push for condos. Listen, Katie, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. Um, what is the best way for people to reach you? You can go on our website, getonthablock.com. Yeah. Uh, that's the easiest way to reach us. Um, all of our contact information is on there. Well, it was a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, folks, that was Katie Steinfeld, and she is the broker of record at On the Block Realty, Inc. If you think of an auction, if you are, you know, you if, especially as a buyer, I think it's probably a great idea for the disclosure. But as a seller, I think it is a very positive approach. And I think that you'll be pleasantly surprised if you actually auction your house. Um, also, I want to thank Romana King for joining me today. As usual, Romana is always great with insight. Interesting things about the Montreal market. Are they going to introduce foreign buyer tax anytime soon? Or are they going to let their real estate run up? You know what? They were undervalued for a long period of time. So I think that it's probably a good idea for them to you know, keep the government out of it for a little while. Let's see what happens. Um, I just want to thank Andre and Ian, of course, for making it simple for me this week, as they do every single week. It's always good. And I want to thank you for tuning in because without you, I've got nobody to talk to. Um, I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010. Remember, I'm back next Saturday at 3 p.m. Have a great week, everybody.